When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown with me, Jack Elderton, and my mate, Callum Goodall. We won a match. <laughs> 2024 has, has finally begun. And um, and we did it in style as well. We played really well um, for, for long stretches of this game. Scored four goals at home. And um, yeah, how, how are you feeling after after a win? Is it suddenly back to, to, to all positive for the rest of the season? Pakatar's back and then and, and we're back rocking and rolling? Or uh, are you a little bit... Are you a little bit uh, We'll wait and see for the for see how the next few weeks go. I think wait and see. Um, Return of the pack was great. Uh, you can thank me for the uh, pod title there as well if you uh, if you want it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was uh, relieved. I think was the main feeling. Um, not obviously just for the result, but I think for large portions of the game we played really well. Uh, the impact of Pakatar was in, it's just insane. Like watching us play with him and without him is just night and day. Um, so yeah, it was nice. It was nice to see us score um, four times, <laughs> which was great because it feels like an age. Um, but yeah, I think as as we'll come on to discuss, there were definitely still a few scary moments um, that I think, like you say, uh, probably contribute to my air of caution. It would be easy to come into this and just be like, we won, let's be super positive. And we definitely will be in parts. But yeah, I think it, it there's still definitely room for improvement across the pitch. Absolutely. I think we'll talk about some of the defensive issues in this game. We we, we still gave up probably too many chances in, in this one. Well, definitely too many chances um, in this one. But the, the big difference, right, is just how we played with the ball and, and how much um, more confident we were as an attacking team. And um, and I think the central theme of that is going to be us talking about Pakatar and, and how he improves balance um, across the whole team, really, not just in the front line, but but across the rest of the team as well. Um, if we're going to talk about the game, we're going to have to break it really into into two halves, I think. Uh, the, the, the first half in which West Ham were really very good, um, played played as well as, as we have done this season, I'd suggest, you know, going back to games like the the, the Wolves match, which was very good, and, um, and, and games against Brentford or Wolves, they fall into a slightly different category, if you like, when you're discussing West Ham fixtures to... to games against, uh, I don't know, Arsenal or Brighton or games like that earlier in the season or Spurs even, where we do play a slightly different way and and, um, and therefore you kind of analyse it in a slightly different way as well. Um, the, these games, you know, Brentford are a really good example. We, we really struggle to beat them. I think is it one win against them in the Cup and we haven't beat them, hadn't beaten them in the, in the Premier League since they came yeah. up. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, they're a really good example of us struggling to break down a team that generally defends really well often quite compact defensively big strong boys in the back line and then um and then they can be really direct going forward and in some ways that's been possibly my biggest complaint about Moyes over the last couple of years um is is how much we've struggled against teams that do similar things or play have similar principles to to us um 
you know, the loss against Everton earlier in the season is a good example of that. I want us to be the best version of that team and to win games against other teams that play a similar way. Um, and, and, and this is a good result in, in that light, really, because we found ways at last to be able to not only defend Brentford's long throw uh, at set piece threat, their directness much better than we had done in previous games against them. But we also found ways to generate chances differently and not to sort of uh, blow our own trumpet <laughs> for the analytics United West Ham breakdown podcast. But um, we have been talking quite a lot for quite a long time about being able to generate chances differently by pressing and winning the ball back higher up the pitch as a way of generating chances, particularly in games like this, not focusing so much on dominating possession uh, and breaking teams down by forcing them into their low block shape and and sustaining pressure, but actually using our out-of-possession strengths as a way of generating opportunities against teams um, that maybe are a little bit more confident when they're defending in a compact shape against West Ham. And um, at last, I thought we really did that. I thought for 45 minutes, we showed that we are capable of doing that and we can do it to a high level. Our our possession intensity was was excellent. Um, the only thing that I would say that wasn't at its best level um, and um, and would need to be improved if we were to continue to do this in, in, in other games this season is just how many chances we create from those turnovers. We probably didn't create well enough in those situations. There were too many moments where could have had a pop from 30 yards, 35 yards, uh, when we possibly could have been, I don't know if patient is the word, <laughs> but a little bit more sensible with what we did in our in the final third. And then the second 45 was completely different. And we see other issues that that opens. We, we defended deeper for, for long periods. We were less intense out of possession. We gave Brentford more time on the ball. Um, and as a result of that, we created old issues for ourselves in possession, right? Like the same kind of things we've spoken about before where we miss Antonio and Bowen's up front. He's isolated. He's struggling to win duels against big centre-backs. So I think, should we start by talking about the first half, some of the really strong individual performances in there and then how they relate to what went well. And then we'll talk about the defence more when we we speak about the second half and things that didn't go so well in this match. If we're going to start with anyone, it has to be Lucas Pakatai. He comes back for this game. He makes a huge impact on the team as we started as we started with on this podcast. Um, chat to me about his individual performance, and then we'll talk about first of all how that affects just the front line. Yeah, well, I think uh, yeah, I don't know if he was necessary. Well, he wasn't the man of the match, was he? Bowen scored a hat trick, but in terms of who I enjoyed watching, and I don't know if it's just because I've missed him so much, but the impact and like the the way that he just makes the entire team tick is just is crazy um and yeah comes in after an extended spell on the sidelines and leads the team straight away in progressive passes leads the team in terms of passes into the penalty area as well which is something that we've said we've identified as being a bit of an issue uh while he's been out is that we kind of get there but there's no one to unlock that door and the chance creation has been limited or uh one-dimensional predictable ineffective um and having him in there just sort of making things tick and creating the chances himself but also facilitating the players around him to create better quality chances for for his teammates which is great um and again just another issue that we've had is not having an obvious person who's constantly looking to get onto the ball and lo and behold Paquette comes straight into the team and leads the ball leads the team in terms of ball receptions as well with 45 so in terms of being that presence that sort of connects 
the defence to the attack by enabling us to play through the thirds rather than over the middle third, which is something that when we haven't had those players in the team seems to have been our primary mode of progression is, okay, give it to a guard or give it to Mavropanos or give it to whoever to hit a long diagonal switch out to Kudus or to Bowen in, in the under underloaded wide space on the opposite side of the pitch. But now with Paquetar, the option is there to receive off the centre-backs and thread in... Um, Emerson, and I think another another underrated uh, impact that he had, which isn't necessarily uh, you can, you can't really track it with the numbers, but the ability to control the tempo and speed it up when we want to break, or just to like put his studs on the ball and just slow down a bit and like roll it around a little bit, play the little outside of the boot flick into the path of Emerson once he's decided he's going to overlap. Like he waits for the rest of the teammates to get up to his speed rather than just playing at one frenetic pace where the rest of the, there's no synergy. Like he's able to just be like, okay, let's just take, and it could literally be seconds, like two, three seconds to just slow it down, let everyone move with him. And then boom, he picks up the tempo again. And I think that is massively underrated, not just in terms of making our in possession stuff click, but also in terms of, Uh, our inability in previous games to sort of control moments and kind of just be at the whim of the opposition at times and we have to play the game at their pace and having someone like Pakatar come in and just go, right, I'm in control here. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a a real blessing, to be honest. Um, And yeah, his performance was insane. No, go on. (laughs) That's, that's, That's fine. I was just going to say it's it's that slowing it down that's crucial isn't it really and and when we want to talk about how it balances the front line I think that's the best entry point to discussing that because you know we've spoken in previous matches about how much we struggle without Fornals and Ben Rama without someone else that wants to come and get on the ball but where they even differ from Pakatar is they would also try and accelerate often they also want us to play at a high tempo they also want to try and get to the final third as quickly as possible it's not that Pakatar doesn't want to do that but his ability to slow it down balances out the kind of directness and the as you said frenetic pace of our other forwards the forwards that West Ham have outside of Pakatar are what Mikel Antonio, Maxwell Corne, Jared Bowen, Mohamed Kudus, and Divine Mbama, really. All of those guys want to do things at speed. None mm-hmm. of them are interested in receiving the ball and slowing it down, really. They all want to get the ball and get forward as quickly as possible. And um, having Pakatar in there just allows those players to thrive so much more and be so much more impactful, not just because. A, like we say, the tempo is better controlled and we're not always operating at 900 miles an hour. We're able to play at two speeds. But actually, crucially as well, it's just about space, isn't it? And how much we speak about left side, right side balance at West Ham. Pakatar being on that left side, dragging defenders in and then being able to release players like Kudus or Bowen into, into far more space. Even if he's not the player that does it, you know, he might drag four or five players to that side of the pitch or just drag the opposition across a little bit, just a few yards. And then he can release back to Alvarez, plays one pass out to Sufal, and then Sufal has 20 yards to run into unopposed, which you don't mm-hmm. get when we're trying to operate so speedily across the whole front line. It unlocks lots of other players. And Sufal, again, probably a good place to then talk about how he brings other players across the rest of the team into into better form as well. So not just his relationship with, with Emerson, which is unbelievably good <laughs> let's be honest i mean it's like absolutely central to, to to how well we can play um but 
I really think Alvarez is better with him in there. I think Suchek is better with him in there. I think Will Prowse is better with him in there. I think Sufal, like I just said, is better with him in there. Um, it's hard to really talk about Pakatar without then talking about, is it a bit of a problem that we're quite so dependent on one player? And um, I know you wanted to speak about that on this pod, so I'll hand back over to you to discuss dependency issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Like, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's like we're all super excited to see Pakatar back in the team because it's obviously hugely beneficial, and the the performance, not just of the team but of every individual, really went up significantly, uh, and and that saw us get the result. But there is obviously a problem, and the, the problem is the last two months, right? Is that without him, it's just not it doesn't function in the same way. And I think it, it's a huge chain reaction, right? And it's like, in in if you're looking at it from the positive lens, the chain reaction is you bring Paqueta in and everyone gets better because it allows Emerson to play with a lot more confidence because he can overlap a lot more frequently. And because of how good Paquetar is defensively out of possession, he has he doesn't have to worry as much about having to track back as often because Paquetar, um, I was looking at some of the wider data, actually, he's on form the best defensive attacking midfielder or winger uh, in terms of tackles won, dribblers tackled in the whole of Europe's top five leagues at the minute. Um, so what a gem we've got. Um, but yeah, I think that obviously unlocks Emerson. But then also by having Pakatar who can fall that left-hand role where Kudus has had to sort of slot in at times. Kudus is able to go back out onto the right-hand side, which is much better for him because he can receive, roll and carry inside rather than carry outside. And he's much more of a dynamic threat, poses a lot more issues to the opposition, primarily because it, it, it raises the possibility of any one of five players around him becoming him becoming their responsibility. So it adds confusion and it creates gaps. People dragged out of position. Um, which also then opens up space for Sufal on the overlap and Kudus to play in the overlap. And we see Sufal come into life in this game with much better deliveries into the box, much more frequency carrying down the pitch, increases progression. And then I guess the biggest benefactor of all of that in that Pakatar comes in and gets the best out of Kudus, Sufal and Emerson is that Bowen gets incredible delivery from all three of those, as well as Suchek, who was at his best in this game as well, because he has the license to get into the box and benefit from the delivery of all three of these wide players. And we talked on the previous pod about the importance of wide creation, but you need those wide creators. And whilst Pakatar as well himself is a great creator, like I said, he was he, he had the most passes into the penalty area in this game. But if there was a stat that sort of was like, pre-assists but without the pre-assists right it's like pre-pass to the penalty area he'd be miles ahead of everyone because like the impact that he has is just huge but like we say it raises that issue of dependency because as soon as he's there as soon as he's not there and he can't facilitate all of that the chain reaction works in reverse and instead it's like oh crap okay well Goodis now has to play out of position so his impact's limited now we can't find Sufalas regularly because the overlap is not not on and we don't have the ability to play those passes the angles are wrong Emerson doesn't feel as confident getting ahead of Kudus and that's because both of them want to take on the outside because they're both left-footed so the gaps the issues are there it's much easier to defend against and then Bowen's not getting as good delivery so the goals dry up and therein is the issue and I think it brings us back around to that mass frustration again of like I know Fornals is not Paquetar but the system is able to function in a very similar way albeit not at 100% with Fornals doing that role because they're similar-minded players in terms of wanting to get into that half space and get on the ball and facilitate. Obviously, Paqueta does it to a much higher level. He's leading the le- leading 
many stats in Europe's top five leagues in, in and out of position. Um, but not having him and not having someone who can come in and deputise to any level uh, is a huge issue. Uh, it's a massive issue and one that we'll undoubtedly need to address come the summer. Um, but there's likely to be a lot of change in a lot of areas. There's potential, obviously, with Moyes. There's potential that Paqueta actually himself leaves and then that raises the whole issue of replacing him. Um, but yeah, I was just mesmerised uh, by the performance. Um, yeah, it was great. Not not to go on about the players that we've lost too much, but, you know, what is it? Uh, Fornaus, Ben Rama, Lanzini, Vlasic as well. Also, all gone out the door with no replacements. No one's really coming. Yeah. I suppose you could say Kudus comes in to replace Vlasic, but the other three mm. haven't really brought anyone in to, to, to fill those gaps. And I think... It's important for me to say here as well, it's not, you know, it's not just a left winger. West Ham don't just need any old left winger. Mm. It's, we need someone, I think you're right to talk about four hours in that sense, who wants to come into central spaces, receive in the half space, come more narrow in the classic noise false winger way. And that allows your fullbacks to get higher. It allows Suchek to get into the box. It, it creates all of the positive dynamics that we have in attack. And when you have just two wide players, the fullbacks are blocked out from getting further forward. You don't have someone coming into the middle to help you protect the centre, so Suchek can't get into the box quite so freely because then that creates gaps in the middle of the pitch. So all of the ways that our attack functions to its best level start to break down, as you described. Um, so I think it's really, I mean, it has to be a priority, doesn't it? Obviously for the summer, especially if Pakatar goes, and I'm just focusing on the, in the context that Moy stays or whatever, the, 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 the club does bring in someone of that style, someone who wants to maybe start at wide or even someone that is just more of a 10 and you just yeah. move them to the wide space and then they come in from those areas into more central spaces. You know, I don't think they necessarily have to be a winger by trade. They probably could just be a, a central mm-hmm. player that we move out to that side um, only for them to then move back into the spaces that they would naturally receive. And um, I think Felipe Anderson, come back to oh. put it on. <laughs> <laughs> no, do it to me. Um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, another player who played really well. I feel I feel kind of bad because we're not we're not going to go into too much detail on Bowen, who did play really well and obviously gets a hat trick in this game. But Pakatar is so key to speaking about West Ham at the moment and speaking about this game in particular that we had to speak about him. And then the other player that is just crucial to all of it is Thomas Suchek and. I think the biggest thing that we, we then want to speak about and the focus really of any discussion about the first half and how well West Ham plays, played has to be about what we did out of possession and the differences from so much of else of what we've done this season. Often we see West Ham defend quite deep under David Moyes um, or operating in a mid-block. And it's not that we didn't do either of those things. We did but we were able to go and hit a man-to-man press at times in this game, which created opportunities for us in the final third, much better than any other way that we generated chances in, in, the, in the game. And um, it's worth doing a little refresher, I think, on the first match um, at Brentford, just to discuss this, because in the first match, I think we had several players out. I think Pakatar wasn't available. Um, I'm pretty sure Alvarez also was out for that game. with yeah. a few suspensions. And we ended up having to play a 4-4-2. And um, we, again, in that match, looked for what we did out of possession to help us generate opportunities. And if people remember that game, we were pretty close to going, I think it would have been 3-1 up in the first half. We had a really dominant first half, similarly, and then gave away goals in the second half, defending deep and and ended up losing the game 3-2. Antonio missed a big chance at the end of the first half. Um, 
And a big part of what went well in the first sort of, I would say, 35-ish minutes of that game was a man-to-man aggressive press um, where we were really able to impact Brentford's build-up, which looks often like a 2-4-4 when they're building out from first phase. Um, So that's the two centre-backs split wide. They get um, a double pivot of um, Norgard and Jensen really tight, often really tight in the centre of the pitch. Uh, Two fullbacks quite wide. Um, One of those players will usually be a centre-back that can then become a third centre-back in a three once they get over the halfway line. They can move into a 3-2-5 shape. And then they use Onyeka, not dissimilarly, I would say, to how Arsenal will use someone like Havertz um, as kind of a physical presence in the half space who can receive direct passes into the final third or just physically draw center backs away to create space then for the forwards to go one V one and receive long balls. Um, so they get often a situation where they're able to generate five across the back line when they're moving forwards, but they get the, the advantages of having a four deep in possession and therefore 4-2-4 or 2-4-4 four, four, depending on how you look at it matched up really well to our 4-4-2 four, four, in the first game and we were able to just basically press really high uh, man-to-man across the whole pitch uh, and win turnovers and, and cause them problems in the second half um, they went to a back three in build-up or a back five in build-up um, and that was able to get round the outside of our 4-4-2, they were really easily able to progress to the final third lots in the game. And then we were forced to defend deep for long periods and eventually they were able to break through um, off their set pieces. And um, I think we learned from that. And it's really nice to see us learning. You know, I think so much with Moyes, we often see the same game play out again and again and again against the same opposition, right? And one thing that has been really good about this season is the Brighton games and and this second Brentford game. It's teams we've really struggled against for long periods. He's taken lessons from what we've done wrong in those games, adapted what he does, moved to new systems that he hasn't played previously against those teams and seen the results. Um, So the first game against Brighton, we played more of a 4-1-4-1. We were able to better track um, the movement of their sort of double 10 system. We didn't engage as aggressively as we had done or tried to do previously several times against them. We were much more passive. That stopped them generating the advantages of their really slow build-up. Um, and then this time against Brentford, instead of being inflexible in that man-to-man system, we, we went hybrid and, um, we would defend four, two, three, one, same way we always do, but Thomas Suchek, and that's the guy we're going to talk about defensively would be able to make the decision to go and make it a four, one, four, one when Brentford were in deep buildup. So he could go forward from his deep position alongside Alvarez to make up the extra man to combat Brentford's build-up. So we'd have Ward-Prowse on Norgard and Suchek on Jensen, or the other way around, but 2v2 in that area. And then off the back of that, we can then commit man-to-man across the rest of the pitch. Sufal can go up to, to Region, Kudus can come inside onto one of the centre-backs, Bowen on the other centre-back, Pakatar on, on, on the right-back, and suddenly man-to-man across the pitch, cause Brentford loads and loads and loads and loads of problems in the, in, in, the, in the first 10 minutes and in the whole of the first half, really. Um, and without the issues that it generated in the first game for us, where we were man-to-man constantly, and that then allowed them to get around the outside at times and, and get into the final third. We picked our moments really well to go into that system, and we were able to generate a, a advantage, advantages doing that. And the best way to describe that is probably with the first goal, where Suchet makes the decision to go. Alvarez then disconnects from sort of that central, more zonal 
position onto it, man-to-man to Wanyeka. He gets there, forces Wanyeka to make the mistake. We win the turnover. Ward-Prowse gets it, plays it to Suchek. We get into the final third really nice and quickly. And Bowen puts a, 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 a brilliant... It's actually an amazing finish, really, from a almost yeah. impossible angle into the into the near post. And um, yeah, I think for me, I mean, again, like I said at the top of the podcast, we've spoken about this for a long time as the way forward for West Ham. I think this has to be the model now um, against teams that maybe might not have the most fluid or brilliant build up, or might not have the most technical players to be able to win games using what we do out of possession rather than focusing on, you know, potentially having the best players trying to dominate possession and trying to force them them deep. Because I think again against Brentford, you know, like last season, I think we had tons of crosses. I can remember us stabilizing in the final third for ages in that game, whipping the ball in ad nauseum and then conceding goals on the break. Um, mm-hmm. Leicester was similar uh, last season. Crystal Palace was similar, has been similar this season, was similar last season. I like this much more as a way to generate um, positives in attack. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think it's only right that we give give Suchek his flowers, so to speak. I think he, he was brilliant. Um, out of possession, as you've said, I think is is not uh, not not predictable because obviously he's had some games, but he I think everyone that defensively is, is where he really shines. This, this is the best facet of his game. But also in possession, I thought he was great in terms of um, linking that play, which is something that we don't come to associate with Suchek, but he had the most passes into the final third of any West Ham player, which is, which is kind of crazy to say, um, which is why I kind of want to say it, because I might actually never get to say that again. So let's just get it out there. Um, but yeah, just sort of having the the brains, uh, I think, as you said before the pod, to to be the one that sort of leads the team in, in when we step up and everyone follows his lead. And uh, I think it, you have to give him credit for making that decision so consistently and and doing it right so many times because that <laughs> requires a lot of it's a lot of pressure and a lot of responsibility of um because you're making the decision and if you get it wrong the whole thing falls apart and you probably concede so um yeah i think you just you have to have to give him huge credit for for yeah the consistency with which he does that and i completely agree with you i think this is this is it has to be the way forward really um i think it suits a lot of the players we've got not just Suchek like we said but also Ward-Prowse in terms of pressing from that 10 position. I think he's very good at that in terms of a way of maintaining pressure in the final third, forcing them either to go long and then relying on our centre-backs or Alvarez um, or Suchek if he's there to win that aerial duel and restart the attack or to force those high turnovers and create these transition opportunities that we are most dangerous from, but just in a slightly different way than soaking up pressure and then starting the transition from our own half. Instead, we can start the transition in the opposition half, which gives the defence less time to deal with it, really, and makes us much more threatening. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's really positive. And I, and I hope we do see it because we've got a fairly favourable run of fixtures coming up in terms of Everton and then Burnley, um, albeit Burnley obviously play a slightly more progressive style, but they're also not very good. So I'd, I'd like to see us uh, 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 stick with this for a bit and, and really sort of, obviously with practice, it should become even more effective in theory. So fingers crossed this is a, a sign of things to come, yeah. Yeah, I think it has to be for the right games. You know, I think there are times when it's right for us to sit in a zone of 4-2-3-1 in a mid-block and not really engage, not really step out. I think there are lots of games in, in the season where that is the right way to play. I think it's just really good to be able to go to a hybrid system rather than switching between this kind of like, right, 
we're packing into our four two three one low block or our four one four one low block, and then the next game it being against I don't know someone like Burnley for example or Sheffield United, and it's like right high press everyone we're going to try and dominate the ball trying to create loads of opportunities in the final third. I much prefer this ability to go to something that's sort of in between the two gets us the advantages from both systems um, without opening some of the really big problems we've had previously when we do try and engage really high up the pitch and just create massive gaps across the back line that we can't then um, unplug. It's huge pressure, as you described, on someone like Thomas Suchek to be able to lead that that decision-making process. Um, But to be fair, I I think he's probably the best person in our squad to be able to do that. He's got great um, eyes for for where to be defensively and and how to make the right decisions in, in those positions. And he did it in this one. He passed that test, if you like, really, really well. And, and hopefully we get to see him do it um, other times this season. I think, as you said about moving transitions higher at the pitch, that's super important and helps us discuss the second half because we made less decisions to engage in the second half. <laughs> and I think that's not on Thomas Suchek, by the way. I think we were less intense in the front line. I think we were less intense across Pakatar, Bowen, Kudus. Kudus particularly really dropped off his intensity in the second half. Pakatar possibly less surprisingly also did, but I think that's possibly because of fitness. He's not played so much. And um, in some ways I was quite surprised he played as long as he did in, in, in this one. Um, and that intensity in those areas dropped a little bit. So Suchet wasn't able to make so many decisions to, to spring forward and go and, and, and sort of push the team into that man-to-man shape. Um, so we ended up defending deep. And that then, as I described earlier, you know, the difference for Bowen, particularly it's so marked for Bowen, from receiving in those sort of positions when you're turning the ball over just inside their half to trying to win a header when you've received the ball or turned it over in your own box or just in, just outside your own box and then lump the ball forward it's completely different and we really struggled yeah. to create chances in the same way in the in the second half or or to just be able to have as much control over the game in the second half because we i think if you're going to sit as deep as we as we did in the second half, we're going to be forced to. I almost feel like you just have to make the decision then to bring Antonio on and, and, and yeah. forget what you were doing initially in terms of trying to, to step out and press and, and and focus on using someone physical at the top end of the pitch. Um, personally, I'd probably say that the, the club probably needs to invest in another striker like that because I think Antonio is possibly not doing it to the to the highest level, hasn't done in the two games um, since he returned from, from injury. Um, but let's talk about defenders because defenders, is, 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 it, 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 they're really interesting in this one because... It, We've spoken about a first half of high intensity, high pressing, uh, and a really strong West Ham performance, and a second half of lower intensity, lower block, and, and a less strong West Ham performance. Similarly, in one half, one centre-back really shone, and in the other half, another centre-back really shone. And I can think that kind of sums up some of the issues in terms of the construction of our back line, really, uh, with yep. the centre-backs that we have, is that a couple of them are really good at one side of the game, a couple of them are really good at the other side of the game other than Mavropanos, who I'd say did prove in this one and has continued to prove really this season that he can do both. Yeah. The other three, it's a bit one or the other, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, I, I, I was really impressed with Mavropanos again. I was really glad to see him come into the side. And I think, again, if we're going to talk about sort of passing tests, I think he certainly did it because, uh, yeah, he's he's shown, like you say, he can do the box defending stuff, um, but he is also probably the most progressive of our centre-backs, which kind of feels weird to say in terms of we've got Agurd, obviously, who we know is a very good passer from deep with his left foot. But I think Mavropanos offers that, but also the way that he's able to carry the ball 
through the press into the final third and and do it pretty well and in terms of his decision making as well like knowing when to try and bypass the press himself and like uh, scanning to see that there's no passing option so he takes that responsibility on I think that's something that he offers to a higher level and more frequently than a good um but yeah I, I thought he defended really well as well um Zuma yeah it's it's just it's, it's it is like you say isn't it it's that squad building and I think as well like squad building at West Ham has been a problem for ages but in fairness I don't think anyone could have anticipated the the drop-off at the start of the season like it's all well and good planning to some extent, but I think at the start of the season going into it, we probably felt like we were all right. Like we had maybe one more centre-back would have been good, but we were like, okay, Zuma, bonafide starting right-sided centre-back, who's the captain. Like he was in insane form at the start of the season and last se- at the end of last season. Um, Agurd next to him, starting to develop, was starting to show that he could do things in this Moyes side and was the progressor in the absence of Cresswell and taking over that mantle on the left side. Um and both of them have just fallen off a cliff. And Mavropanos is the shining star in that he's come through, perhaps unexpectedly, so quickly to be able to slot in. But what it means is you're either left with a player who's good for at least one mistake every game, which is a good, it, it, despite all the positives that he does bring, you can't really... It's a huge decision for Moist to make if you play him because you know that something is likely to happen. Or you have Zuma playing out of position on his weak foot on the left side with zero recovery pace, which means if you do make a mistake, the mistake, the chances of recovering from it are slim to none. Um, or Ogbonna, who is kind of a bit of both. He's not very progressive and he's not very quick. So uh, it's just it's just not ideal. Um, but yeah, I think, like you said, Zuma in the second half came into his own in terms of clearances and headers. Um, but I think the way I came away from it was just, it really underlined the point that we've kind of already had in our notes for a long time is that centre-back is an area that we really need to spend on this summer. I think it's a priority position, if not the priority position, uh, depending on departures, but you have to find that partner. And I think it's a partner for Mavropanos, um, to be clear. I think Zuma's minutes are going to have to be managed a lot more effectively. Um, I, I, probably would entertain a bid if one came in to be honest this summer depending um on where we're at and using that money to reinvest um and i think we kind of put ourselves in a tricky position in terms of obviously zuma is the captain so it makes it a little bit more difficult for for moyes to make that decision to take him out of the team if that's what he decides he wants to do um but yeah a rock and a hard place is probably the best way to describe it but focusing on the positive mavropanos has to be the first center back for me now i think yeah, I think based on his performances across most of the season, I know he had a couple of mistakes when he first came in and, and the, I think his worst mistake, I can't even, I'm not sure who it was against, was when he turned and played the ball back to the centre. Was it Pistol Palace? <laughs> yeah, it was. I'm pretty um, sure it was. And just gave it straight to Edward. Yeah. Um, which is not ideal. Um, but apart from that, I think he's been really good. And I think when, we, when we're discussing sort of high press versus sitting in and then possibly West Ham being at their best when they're able to do both in the same game, um, to a decent level, he's the only guy who can do both. Mm-hmm. You know, Zuma in the first half struggled really badly because of the space that's in behind him, the space he's having to cover. Um, he really struggled with us being so aggressive out of possession. In the second half, he was much better because he's comfortable in that low block scenario. Now, for good, in the first half, he would have been quite comfortable, I think. He would have been able to handle mm-hmm. that first half quite well because there were huge spaces in behind the defence. That helps in terms of his recovery pace. He's able to assist in those situations. The the first goal that Brentford scored, does it happen if a guard's there? Maybe it doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. 
because I don't think, I think he handles those situations possibly a little bit better than someone like Kurt Zuma can um, in the physical condition that Kurt Zuma is now in. <laughs> yeah. um, but in the second half, we would have conceded goals if Agud was in the team, you know, from the, the long throws that they had, from the number of set pieces that they had, uh, from the number of just crosses into the box that they were able to put in in the second half, was- Agud would have struggled. There was one, wasn't there, where Ariola made the save down low, it kind of scooped it out, and then Zuma throws himself in front of the, sh- the shot on Brilliant the rebound. A Gerd's not getting, a Gerd's not, well, he's not as qualified to do that as Zuma is. It's exactly. Zuma's bread and butter. Yeah, and then Ogbonne's, it, it falls into the sort of same category for me as Zuma does, just possibly a less good version. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, would, would be comfortable in the low block scenarios or situations we found ourselves in the second half, but would have been a disaster in the first half <laughs> yeah. we were trying to step out and, and, and press. So, yeah, I think the conclusion for me is exactly the same as yours, which is that we just need a new centre-back and it needs to be a priority in in the summer. I think the problem is in terms of, and and this is kind of a big, quite a big worry going into the summer, really, is that, you know, we've done three, we're talking about three positions really so far in this this podcast in most depth. We've spoken about Pakatar possibly leaving in the summer, desperately need a backup for him, never mind also possibly a replacement (laughs) in the summer. We've spoken about Antonio not being able to do quite a good job when we're defending from a low block and needing someone who can be a good physical outlet as a striker for the team in those situations. And that being really important that we bring a, a, a good physical striker in to, to the squad. And then we're also now speaking about the fact that at centre-back, we've got big problems there too. And we possibly need to invest quite heavily in that position to make sure that there's someone who can sit in there alongside Mavropanos and give us the ability to be not only, like you say, progressive, but also defensively secure, but as well as that, be able to step out and press and have the physical abilities in the back line to be able to cope with that, but also to have the strength and physicality and, you know, just kind of, I don't know, I, I don't know how to describe it, kind of the attitude, if you like, in a, in a centre-back to be able to go and make blocks in the same way, you know, someone like James Tarkovsky might. On top of that as well, being able to attack corners, which Mavropanos does, and whoever would would come in would probably need to be able to do as well to play under Moyes. It's quite a lot of things that need to happen, and actually positions that would be really expensive, no, Cal? Yeah, this is where someone might just turn around though and go, well, what you could do is just replace the manager and then then you don't have to find all of those things, which is where the club find themselves, right? It is, it is a, it, there's huge decisions to be made this summer um, in in all areas. Um, yeah, but should should most, well, even if he goes, like you're still going to have to buy in those positions. It's just the profile might be slightly different because the manager might want them to do a different thing in that position. But irrespective of that, we are still going to need a centre-back because whether Moyes stays or whether he goes and someone else comes in, they're going to need someone who can at least recover and play a higher line because if we're going to replace Moyes, it is going to be presumably for someone that will want to play a more progressive brand of football anyway. So that comes with the territory, is that you're going to need that defender who can play this system um, that we saw today. Um, Today, not today, you know what I mean? The game that we've just spent the best part of 40 minutes discussing um but like that hybrid system that can step up so you're going to need that regardless and 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 they don't come cheap and i mean we don't tend to want to splash too much cash in the defensive department um compared to attackers i guess i think sullivan would be far more willing to part with 
the money yeah, yeah. for a Paqueta replacement than for a centre-back because it's just not attractive. Um, I do think but it's if, fine because Nolan's proven me. himself as the manager now, hasn't he? So, so it's all good. We're all sweet. <laughs> I, I do think if Moyes was going into that room to, the, to sort of discuss, you know, the, the money that we would need to spend in the summer, I think one of the benefits that, that he could possibly, you know, or one of the advantages there that he could discuss is that... Um, Although I think you would have to go pretty big on a centre back, it'd have to be a really high level centre back to be able to do do what Mavropanos is able to do. And actually, it, it kind of increasingly looks like Mavropanos was a really, really good buy. And we did think that at yeah. the time. We thought he was a really, really good buy. Um, with the other positions, I do wonder if you, you you are able to kind of get away with doing it a little bit cheaper than possibly other teams would because of the fact that. I don't know how many number 10s are there at the moment not thriving because there's not a number 10 position that you're able mm-hmm. to then rediscover, if you like, by moving them them out wide. And how yep. many just physical bullish strikers can you get something out of with, with David Moyes? Does it have to be, you know, a really elite level striker who can do both what Bowen did in this game and what Antonio can do? Or can it just be someone who can do what Antonio does? to a better level than Antonio is able to do it now. And Bowen starts games like this and you just sub him off when 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 you mm-hmm. end up defending deep as we did in the second half. 60 minutes in, you don't even have to sub him off, can do you? you just move him to the right. Kudus yeah. comes into into the 10 position or moves to the left and 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 you put um your your big physical striker you've invested in and possibly wouldn't cost you too much um on on in the second half of the game. I do think there are some advantages there. And that's one of the things I I have probably liked about Moyes a little bit and I think we possibly deviated from a little bit too much certainly last summer not some before last it's just the, the the fact that in certain positions on the pitch you can possibly get away with not spending so much and get good returns from from players who are less well utilized in uh, more commonly seen approaches around the, the top five leagues in in Europe um so have we got anything else? Are we, are we going to talk about Ben Mee very briefly and say, I'm not sure what what what, what happened with the decision to move him <laughs> to wide centre-back from Brent. Oh, it's a West Ham podcast, but just just watching the game back twice. What happened there? What, I'm, I'm sure Brentford had injuries, but Ben Mee at left centre-back and forced into into wide defending situations and transitions. Against Kudus. <laughs> against Kudus. What's going on, Thomas Frank? I really like you, but how's that happened? Um, yeah, bit of a strange one. Um, but I do think that the, the sum total of, of this chat needs to be that, for me, we found really um, good solutions in games we previously struggled with this season. And it's nice to see us shaking off problems that we've had in, in, in games like this previously against Brighton and Brentford. Um, that's a really positive sign going forward. Um and the big thing we've got to work out is is how to cope when Pakatar isn't there. And possibly also, you know, if if we're going to do a good job of managing his minutes, because he has picked up a few injuries in his West Ham career, mm-hmm. what's 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 plan B, do you know, when, when he needs to come off the pitch, what's plan B? Because we didn't manage the game. Well, as soon as Antonio came on, we were struggling for the last 15, 20 minutes of the game. So we need to really work on what happens in those 15, 20 minutes in, in the last 25 minutes of a game where we're ahead, how we do a better job of, of managing the game. There were lots of examples in that second half of, of us. I thought initially we tried to sort of slow it down and take a bit more, take a, say, neutralize the game, take it, take the sting out of it or, or, or whatever. And then just ended up giving the ball away cheaply after playing a yeah. sort of, you know, play 10, 12 sort of simple passes. And then someone just gives it away. That's not, <laughs> that's not ideal. 
And then when you go back to, which I think we did in the last sort of 10 minutes of the game, trying to counter really aggressively, you end up creating sort of basketball-like conditions where the ball can come back at you over and over again. So I think that's something for that work needs to be done on. And, and actually, really important work needs to be done on before the next game because it's Everton next, right? Um, yeah. And I think we'll, well, if we play as well as we did in the first half, which I think we're capable of and take the lead, we'll encounter exactly the same problems in the second half yep. um, as we did against Brentford. Um, so it'll be an interesting one to talk about in light of this conversation this week. Thank you, Cal. Um, check out the website, analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members. I forgot to do it at the top of the podcast. Terrible hosting again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, please do head over there and, uh, and support us if you want to continue uh, or if you want the podcast to continue into, into next season. Uh, any support would be greatly appreciated. And thank you for those of you that are already subscribed. And um, yeah, great to see West Ham win again. And we'll catch you next week, hopefully, to talk about another positive result. Sports Social Podcast Network.